the New Zealand Tech Podcast. Brought to you by Gorilla Technology. Proactive and strategic IT. Greetings and welcome along to the New Zealand Tech Podcast. We're at episode 490. I'm your host, Paul Spain. Today we have Vincent Heringer on the podcast. Vincent is the host of This Climate Business, an exciting new podcast recently launched in New Zealand. And he's an award-winning journalist. How are you, Vincent? I'm really well. I'm honoured to be number 490. How about that? <laughs> we thought we'd better get around to inviting you on the show at some stage. I've only been waiting 489 times. <laughs> Maybe you could, uh, for listeners who don't know you, fill them in a little bit on sure. you know where you fit into this sort of big wide world of, of media and, and, and technology in New Zealand? Sure, yeah. Well, I, I, I love both. I love the media and I love tech and I have been covering tech as a journalist for a long time. I started out as a business journalist. Well, prior to that I was at Metro Magazine, but started out as a business journalist doing the tech round with an, an old newspaper called The Independent and quickly realised that um, Chasing ambulances was boring, um, and so set up. Uh, went to IDG, and people might remember IDG, you know, owner of Computer World, and uh, we set up reseller news and uh, PC World and so on. But I started a magazine called Unlimited, and the idea was really to celebrate uh, entrepreneurship, particularly in the era of dot com. You know, you can imagine just how exciting the times were in the the, um, the turn of the millennium, um, and um, Got a real appetite for these, what I think have emerged as kind of unicorn businesses, you know, often with a tech core, yes. um, but f- using using tech to, to get incredible growth. And I'd opened up this possibility, and we called it Unlimited Magazine because we sensed this is, we were taking a step change really into a different kind of business where you rather than having to just have one more sheep or one more cow taking up one more acre of land uh, you could actually scale from New Zealand using tech right um, and uh, so the idea of abundance was embedded in that unlimited idea and I continued on with that and then launched another magazine called Idealog which had a similar sort of vision but um, weaved in this time because tech had uh, kind of catastrophically blown up in the dot-com uh, crash, um, weaved in creativity. And because cre- creativity is obviously an essential part of entrepreneurship and, and drives a lot of tech innovation. Um, and so have continued really with this fascination, and now I'm applying that same interest in the green tech area. Uh, I run this podcast, as you've mentioned, the, this climate business, and the idea really is to focus on what... Um, opportunities are going to come out of this transition to a low emissions economy. It's, it feels to me very similar to uh, the early days of the dot-com boom. We're moving into a different kind of world, a different, a different type of economy, and there will be winners and losers out of that, and I'm really interested in that change. And, and this time, Paul, I'd actually quite like to own something, not just report about it. So I'm dabbling also... Um, helping out with the Venture Capital Fund and, and helping out with some businesses. That's exciting. That's good. Well, let's let's jump in. Now, we should start by thanking our uh, show partners. Uh, Gorilla Technology is our uh, headline uh, partner. Uh, also, Sumo Logic and Vodafone, Spark, Vocus, HP and Samsung. 
and it's those brands that are standing behind the New Zealand Tech Podcast and uh, and keeping the show uh, running and operational. And of course, you know those are brands that are really getting behind uh, the tech sector in New Zealand and you know supporting uh, innovation here. So thanks to each of them for their support. Um, especially my own company, Gorilla. Um, got to give Gorilla a mention from time to time. We can't do it without those sponsors' support. Now, um, today, there's, I guess, you know, a bunch of things we wanted to chat through, but I, I do want to, uh, since we've got you here, Vincent, I do want to delve into a little bit around uh, what, you know, COVID-19 means for us as as the country does a little bit of a reset and a rethink on, on lots of things, um, but part of that is uh, transportation-related technology, and there are environmental aspects of that as well as just you know great opportunities for 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 New Zealand to be uh, thinking of. I want to talk a little bit about our uh, contact tracing app that launched in New Zealand around this time uh, last week. There's Rocos, uh, which I saw a very interesting little, uh, a short little piece on uh, TV3 News uh, last week about, and they were showing off um, their uh, Boston Dynamics. Uh, the RoboDog. RoboDogs, yeah, uh, which was which was fascinating to see because I hadn't seen any of these in, in, in person in New Zealand, and actually they were filming it just... Uh, Probably you know half a k or, or, or so from uh, from our from our studio. So I'm they, hoping we'll be able to connect with them at, at some stage in the not too distant future and and hear a little bit more about what they're doing. But I just want to uh, we want to give them a mention. Uh, Vodafone. There's there's been a little bit of discussion going on online uh, today about um, some some possible changes uh, there at Vodafone. So we've had a little uh, um, a little just check in with them on uh, on what's happening in the world of, of Vodafone and their hybrid fibre uh, coaxial network. Uh, and there was news out around uh, CDC uh, data centres spending a lot of money. In New Zealand, and so uh, we'll, we'll delve into uh, we'll delve into that. And uh, Microsoft just had their build conference, so let's jump in. Uh, Mike, now Microsoft uh, last week had their build conference, and we've seen others like Google who have basically just decided to cancel their uh, developer conference uh, because of COVID-19. Microsoft went, it went ahead anyway uh, and they had, uh, you know, they ran a, a pretty impressive uh, conference with their leaders sort of beaming in from, from their, their homes uh, effectively and, that, you know, a bunch of uh, announcements there. Now, uh, I, th- I think what we'll do with that content is we're going to uh, put it aside. It's, it's there online if you want to delve into it. But we'll put it aside, and um, I will uh, invite uh, Microsoft onto the, the show to get a little bit of an update from uh, you know from the end, and then we can then we can ask some of the uh, you know some of the questions. Actually, fill that out a, a, a little bit more. Uh, but looking at um, I guess you know where we are right now, Vincent, with COVID nineteen really causing a you know huge shake up to society right around the world. New Zealand, of course, are, are in this amazing uh, position compared to uh, many others, where only a you know very very small percentage of the population uh, ended up becoming infected. 
you know, in the broader scheme of it, compared to overseas, um, uh, you know, unfortunately, we've, we've still had uh, 21 uh, deaths here uh, in New Zealand, but but still, you know, in in the scheme of things, compared to many parts of the world, we're in a pretty uh, reasonable position, and uh, if if we uh, you know, compare with some of those economies that you know are nowhere near as strong as New Zealand, uh, where it's only just you know just starting to uh, starting to hit them, um, and you know here we are, um, you know, all getting back into work and and starting to you know, re- relax about the situation. I think it creates some really interesting opportunities for the country. Obviously, we were massively dependent on tourism as a huge contributor uh, in an export sense and that's been smashed Um, but the other big pillar of New Zealand has been the agri industry you know it's still our number one business and uh, that's largely been I can't say unaffected but has been able to continue and um, off the back of that uh, you know we we talked about Rokos the the robo dogs New Zealand really is a leader in agri-tech uh, we benefited from agri-tech in robotics and um, processing, but also genetics. Um, um, there's so much opportunity in agri-tech. Uh, and we do have this strong base of agriculture that can fund uh, the application of uh, and invention of um, tech that you would think, you know, the com- combination of our largely unaffected um, COVID agri sector, um, our, our long heritage and reputation for pure products and, and safety, um, would give us a massive opportunity for growth in, in the food sector. So uh, there's a really good reason to feel optimistic. There's one bit of news this week that um, possibly didn't, you know, ha- has kind of snuck under the radar but you, you might remember mycoplasma bovis which was uh, a, a terrible um, disease that was uh, infecting New Zealand beef cattle well um, really positive news about that the government two years ago took a really bold step and said actually a little bit like COVID we're going to wipe this thing out and it was a controversial and bold step but we've been rewarded because they have largely got on top of it and it now looks like it's in uh uh, ever decreasing circles, uh, so you know they've they've actually done contact tracing quite well uh, with this. So you know I think agri and agri tech uh, once again have uh, got massive opportunity in New Zealand and and very exciting. And then beyond that, I, I just think um, you know you talk about the the a small number of infections we have in New Zealand creates a. Uh, confidence doesn't it you know when when we went out on that first level two weekend there was just a a real sense of confidence of being in a place that was well managed uh, it was clean uh, we could meet people and not be frightened and I I would really love to see that confidence be used to to go and do something transformative. Yes and look I, I think we need to right we have a big hit to the economy and yeah, you you mentioned uh, tourism. That's you know that has clearly, as you say, I mean, smashed as is you know, unfortunately the reality at the moment with borders not open and there's only you know there's only so much uh, local you know local uh, money that uh, that tourism will, will you know put into mm. uh, the pockets of uh, of those firms and 
so on. So we do need to be l- looking and acting and moving ahead in in other areas. You know, one of the exciting things about tech is this ability to scale, right, on on a um, off a relatively low capital base. So if you look at something like Pushpay, for instance, um, you know. Um, it was incredibly hard work, and there was quite a lot of money ploughed into there. But they didn't need to build a big factory. They didn't need lots of machinery. Uh, it didn't require lots of buildings. What it required was some hard shoe leather, busting down doors and, and getting success. But off the back of a piece of code and now networks, they've created uh, you know a, a, a now I think the valuation just pushed um, – Close to, uh, am I right in thinking that it pushed, pushed close to over a, um, 1.9 billion? Yeah, around to, around two billion. I think we 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 discussed uh, last week. Yeah, and and uh, you know, yeah, push pay uh, like zero. The the biggest uh, challenge you could say was not actually building what they needed. You know, what they needed to build to acquire customers. Mm. It was that. Uh, sales and marketing aspect, and so you probably need they need uh, more capital on from you know from that perspective than in actually uh, you know creating the creating the initial ideas and then uh, developing them. And you know I think yeah as as you say there's a, there's an ability to leverage technology in a way that is really unlike unlike anything uh, else, and the rate of of growth there. I mean, I look back when I left school. You know, this is this showing my my age a little bit. Uh, about thirty years ago, oh, we're not spanning centuries now. <laughs> no, not quite. Um, uh, yeah, nearly nearly a third of a century. Uh, you know, over that time, we've seen you know computing power grow by about a thousand times, uh, internet connectivity uh, speeds by around a million times, and these things on, only keep moving. So, yeah. look, I'm I'm in agreement. We've got to we've got to leverage the technology, and in New Zealand, we have uh, you know I think a lot of uh, great thinkers, creators. We've got this sort of unique uh, skill set where people can. Think across a lot more broadly than than just one specialist area because we're we're used to uh, you know having to uh, do multiple you know jobs as as people and so you know it just puts us in the strong position. I think also you think about the value that tech can create compared to tourism and you know the, the tourism sector is hurting at the moment and there will be a lot of people who are suffering who have lost family fortunes and. Um, and certainly are under pressure. But, you know, tourism is not a great business. It's a low-margin, high-volume business. And one of the opportunities we have in as twofold is to double down on tech as a core skill, but also to reinvent tourism as a high-value business. So, you know, we... We often talk about the backpacker versus the uh, the lodge stayer, and you know New Zealand has every reason to think it could be a very high margin, high value tourism economy. But I would love to see someone figure out how you could turn the New Zealand experience into not just a destination of jumping on a plane and burning up carbon miles, but it, how could we turn the New Zealand experience into a digital experience so that you know, many, many millions of people can experience it in a way that doesn't burn up the planet but actually is really low-cost to deliver 
to us as well. So I think there's some really interesting opportunities emerging out of COVID. Mm. And, well, and we had we had uh, uh, Shay DeBoer on the show uh, from Reality, Reality uh, Virtual, and yeah, they're they're you know, basically uh, what do they say? Um, backing up the planet and you know creating this 3D sort of virtual view. So there there may be a role for uh, uh, Reality Virtual and and that idea. That's that's for sure. Um, but I, I certainly. Yeah, I like I like that idea um, to a, to a degree um, of us sort of yeah raising uh, raising what it is we return uh, when when we you know look at tourists coming into New Zealand because it, it doesn't have that scalability of tech right and so we get more people come in uh, the more damage they do and then you know the less return we get and so there's there's definitely something to be thought about there but we also don't want to make uh, our our incredible attractions and, and scenery sort of off limits and unaffordable to uh, to Kiwis. There's another element to it's kind of related to tourism, and uh, you, you think about now New Zealand as a talent attraction location for uh, high quality immigration, and uh, I know we'll get to the data centre piece in a minute, but you know it's not unimaginable that New Zealand becomes a really attractive destination for uh, high quality educated immigrants who want to put themselves in a safe, clean, democratic country why don't we turn our immigration system into a recruitment system and go and find those people and get them to come here I think we might even touch on uh, Whisk the the company soon but you know there's a company that is um, based as a uh, uh, electric um, plane yeah flying flying, flying, uh, um, autonomous air taxis using New Zealand's tech talent and our physical environment to uh, do really world changing um, technology you know what I I just wonder whether COVID now has elevated New Zealand's potential as a place for talent attraction well certainly if we can allow those people into the country which is something you know we're not we're not quite there on that you know al- allowing uh, people to come here but if if we could move reasonably quickly on that with the appropriate sort of you know quarantine processes and it, I mean of course yeah things can be started things can be done without people coming into the country but I, I you know I think that is something that we will need to we will need to address we need people to to be able to uh, move probably a little bit more than we can today although I mean it's it's fair to say technology uh, allows us to uh, to to go places without going places doesn't it which is, uh, sure is does. great. Yeah. T- tell us about these data centers Paul what what what's happening we've had Microsoft and CDC come and invest quite serious amounts of money in building data centers well, yeah, certainly the commitment is there. So um, CDC data centres, who are uh, nearly half owned by Infratil, which is a New Zealand uh, firm, and you know, of course uh, they are also key owner behind uh, Vodafone New Zealand uh, now. Uh, so CDC have been uh, providing a lot of data centres in Australia and one of their Australian customers is Microsoft. So uh, it seems that the Microsoft Azure uh, data centres and data centres that are used for uh, Microsoft 365 in Australia uh, are not actually you know, built and owned by Microsoft directly within, uh, within Australia, but uh, you know, C- CDC 
is the uh, is is the partner that uh, that facilitates that for them. Uh, so yeah, what what we've got there is a scenario uh, whereby we're hearing CDC uh, committing about two hundred million dollars to um, building new data centres in New Zealand, and yes, I you know I believe it will be. Um, Microsoft will be that sort of you know foundation customer that accounts for uh, you know for a reasonably uh, a reasonably big big chunk of uh, of that business, but it does raise some interesting uh, you know I guess dis- discussion points around well is New Zealand a great place to be putting data centres? Are those data centres uh, coming here just because we need them? Or is there potentially a, a bigger story because of uh, Microsoft and others being committed to uh, renewable uh, energy and uh, zero carbon footprint? New Zealand's actually quite a good place from that perspective to be yeah, building data that. centres because most of our, our power comes from uh, renewable sources, right? Mm. And more, more, more than ever. Um, I would say three out of four you'd give ticks for. Is, is it a safe, democratic, rule-by-law kind of country? Yes. Uh, it, is it uh, likely to be invaded, uh, taken over by crazies with guns or terrorism? No. We, we certainly hope not. <laughs> uh, you know, I still think that we're hard to locate on maps, which is good. Yeah, yeah. Um, and your point about uh, powering data centres, of course, is the major cost, uh, whether it's cooling or powering the servers. And if you can, um, you know, A, have a lower cost of electricity, but B, also have uh, a low emissions profile in your energy cost, because let's face it, you know, if very soon, and Microsoft have committed to this too, very soon every company will have to account for its emissions profile. And uh, if you can, at source, get uh, renewable energy, you've already reduced your um, your liability in that in that uh, space. So, you know, three, three out of four is pretty good. Uh, and then the fourth one, I, I would think, actually, is a higher risk factor is our seismic uh, nature. You know, we're on the ring of fire, and only just yesterday we had a, a good bolting uh, earthquake that the Prime Minister ex- uh, experienced live. But there are ways around that, you know, the, we, we know how to build buildings now that can endure seismic events. There are parts in New Zealand that have low risk uh, seismic um, profile. So, you know, I, I would think that New Zealand is a terrific place to build a data centre. What do they say? That the computers operate best at 20 degrees? Well, I, I think our, um, our average temperature range is sort of, uh, you know, around about room temperature. Well, yeah, I think the, the key there is to a- avoid the big fluctuations so you can actually go... Yeah, you can go certainly go well. You know, I think reasonably well above uh, twenty degrees. I don't know all the science behind it. I don't run um, huge data centres myself, but uh, there, you know, there isn't sort of huge extremes in, in temperature here. And I think there are some pretty good ways of how they, you know, how they manage that stuff mm. these days as as well. So yeah, it is encouraging. And, and as you say, they've got pretty good at building uh, buildings that can cope with a fair. Uh, degree of movement. I mean, I was in uh, Tokyo back in uh, 2011. Uh, Selena and I, with uh, with our son Pablo at the time, who was uh, you know just uh, a few months old, and the uh, the big earthquake uh, hit, and uh, we were actually allowed back into the uh, back into our hotel ahead of everybody else because we had a 
uh, a baby with us, and they were obviously you know relaxed enough that we could uh, you know get into the hotel and head back up to level ten or twenty or whatever it was. And you know that's something that that has certainly changed over the last uh, you know probably. 15, 20 years as as just you know how good they've got with yeah. uh, with making uh, yeah. buildings and, yeah. and earthquake zones actually uh, actually pretty pretty safe places. We have a to lot be. of expertise here. I mean that's another example of the kind of you know the sort of business that New Zealand should be doing more of is um, you know in terms of intellectual property around earthquake uh, construction. You know we have a lot of expertise in Gracefield and Lower Hutt. Yeah, yeah, uh, it's. That's a good point. And so, yeah, we've got to be looking to really uh, yeah, leverage that expertise, leverage this uh, yeah, computing power that continues to get better with the unique talents that uh, that mm. New Zealand has. Now, what are the things that you think we should be uh, looking at here at home in New Zealand in terms of uh, changes? Because you know, I'm, I've always been a big proponent of uh, utilising the technologies, you know, that we can so that, uh, you know, out of that first-hand experience, uh, we can become experts. And whether that's, you know, us as individuals and, you know, that, that's, you know, part of the thing that drives me to be trying out new technologies, whether it's, a, uh, you know, an Amazon Alexa uh, in the home or, uh, you know, trying out some semi-autonomous, you know, technology on the road and so on. You know, the, the, these are things. The more familiarity we gain, the more we understand what the possibilities are. And then off the back of that, we're able to, you know, then you know, create uh, businesses. And so now is that, you know, that sort of big, you know, reset that we talked about for uh, for New Zealand. And, you know, I guess this is, is very much, you know, in your wheelhouse and something you've been talking about a lot with uh, your podcast, this climate business, uh, is this sort of, you know, crossover between, uh, you know, business imperatives and outcomes and, you know, economic outcomes, and but also looking uh, at the, you know the environmental factors, and mm. of course now we're 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 at this point where you know, I think you look at most countries. There's this huge commitment to, or a huge desire. The commitment does uh, does 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 vary and 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 goes up and down. To you know, depending on 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 governments and uh, so on. But uh, there 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 is a big interest and a big amount of money being spent in. Uh, delivering outcomes that are, you know, better environmentally. Mm. Um, you know, where, where are you seeing that technology should should play in there, mm. and what do you think that we should be we should be doing right now? As we've, you know, we've pressed this, or we've, we've had the the reset button uh, press, uh, you know, forced upon us with with COVID. Uh, and now we need to be doing new things. What are the things that you think we should be jumping into? Well, I think the there are two aspects to. Uh, this shift, this transition that we're making to a, effectively a low emissions or a low carbon or in effect, you know, let's just call it what it is, a fossil free uh, fossil fuel free economy. Yep. Uh, this is a big change, right? You know, we, since the Industrial Revolution, we have relied on fossil fuels to power our awesome progress. And that's why it's hard for us to give up, Paul, because the progress has been awesome. There's no denying it. The our quality of life, our, our longevity, our health, our wealth, uh, the the gadgets we enjoy, you know, we we have had massive human progress off the back of coal and oil. Uh, what hasn't been great is that has come at the expense of the environment, 
and this idea of um, you know the economists call it um, you know the commons, the tragedy of the commons. That it, while we've been driving around and enjoying ourselves, um, the atmosphere, the waterways, the habitat has been slowly suffering. That finally now is catching up with us, right? And so the two things have to happen. We have to deal with the consequences of all that pollution that we've put into the atmosphere. That's coming back at us as storms. It's coming back as um, habitat loss of um, droughts, of fires. So uh, we and, and even in these areas, which you know, some people might debate which, which you know, which things are caused by. Uh, you know, by environmental impact, I you know I think it's it's been pretty clear during this period where there's been a lot less vehicles on the road and so on. Where you know we're seeing different bits of footage and, and having and, and a little glimpse at what, from, it, what it could be, yeah, right, from you know? from around the world yeah. where so, you know suddenly in India, uh, you know, a whole lot of smog's gone and people are looking up and and seeing you know Mount Everest yeah. and uh, you know f- footage from uh, from China. So mm. you know there, there are some you know pretty hefty uh, examples there of what the world can be like with what? a lot less pollution. Well, you right? just imagine. So the two things really to do with uh, this are first we, we're going to have to mitigate and figure out how we um, survive the next century and beyond with the consequences of, of all the things we just talked about. But the second thing is, so that's kind of like mitigation and the downside. There's real opportunities there for, for engineering, for being smarter about the way we manage risk, um, smarter about the way we just get more efficient mm. with our planning and, and so on. But the, on the other side, I think there's massive opportunities for new technologies. And you just think about the transformation that electrification has had on Transport, and you mentioned transport before. Now is probably a good time to talk about, you know, what what has happened in the last five years with EVs, scooters, e-bikes, now e-trains, e-ferries, e-planes. Yeah, it's such an exciting new territory, and it is creating wealth. It's creating new skills, new jobs. And the experience as a customer is so much better. Uh, I, you know, I'm an, I'm an avid e-bike rider. Now, I ride an e-bike not because I love biking. It's because I'm Dutch. You know, I just I hate spending money. <laughs> so the idea of me spending money to sit in a metal box to drive effectively 15 minutes now seems completely idiotic. But the, that tech has changed. I enjoy my uh, uh, electric metal box. I'm sure you do, Paul. <laughs> um, and well done on making the shift. But, you know, so I'm enjoying that technology, but that has created a whole new industry. Yeah. And that's that green tech revolution, I think, is incredibly exciting. For, for It'll create new jobs, new... Um, you know, technologies, but also new experiences. So one of my um, first interviews on this climate business was Michael Eglin, who is designing and building Auckland's first electric fast ferry. And you just think about the experience of going on a ferry at the moment, you know, bless them, they chug across our beautiful gulf like something out of a, you know, 1930s, um, you know, cartoon. They're smelly, they're noisy, they're slow, they belch 
uh, emissions into the air like anything. They're major contributors to Auckland's greenhouse gas profile. So an electric ferry has you know, potentially is going to create a whole industry in New Zealand of building boats. We, we're good at building boats, but here's a new industry that's emerging. And then the experience will be so much better. So I, that's one of the reasons I, I guess I'm so excited about this potential for this transition away from a fossil fuel economy to to a low profile, a low emissions economy. Yeah, and look, I, I see you know part of the opportunity is New Zealand is a tiny slice of the globe. So when when you when you look at it that way, um, yep, we're not maybe going to directly have a mass you know massive impact on you know carbon emissions globally, uh, but actually for us to start making those changes is is reasonably. Uh, easy to do because it's not as though we've got massive amount of uh, you know ferries running in New Zealand, right? It's, so it's easy and it's not can... easy. If it, um, there are two quite interesting contrasting examples, the um, every year Tamaki Drive floods because of the combination of king tides and um, and a, you know a, and a rising sea level. Yeah, um, yeah. It, you know the planning for that effectively is road cones to kind of shrink the road a little. In yeah, Kapiti, okay. they're actually they've got a forty-year plan to move the road and actually part of the part of the township up the up up the land away from the sea, and that's this is the sort of first part of this mitigation thing. Yeah. This, this is happening, you know. Yeah, yeah. It, you know, get over it. Yeah. Let's actually yeah. start planning. It's yeah. the slowest train wreck in history, you know. Um, mm. So we can plan for this stuff. Um, but it does require a bit of foresight. So back to your question about, you know, what is does COVID give us an opportunity to reset or, or change? I think there is a mixture here, Paul. It it has totally vindicated the role of the state in the economy to assist with planning on a major scale. You know, no, no single company or group of indi- individuals could have done this. This was a collective effort. And... Um, you know, I love capitalism, but a mixed economy is where it's at, and you only have to look at the states to see just how fractured and disorganised they are. So that gives me hope, actually, for other big issues like climate change. Actually, collective action is possible. It's legitimate. There's a place for it, we and we can do it. But the second thing that I think could happen out of COVID is... Um, you know, we might give ourselves permission to, to reimagine how we might do things. And you touched on the air being cleaner. We've experienced uh, bird song in our neighbourhood that possibly was there. I don't know. I couldn't hear it um, because there was so much traffic. Imagine for a moment, Paul, a really quiet transport network, an EV network. And imagine if we were all driving one of your lovely Teslas. Um, how quiet our neighbourhoods would be. Um, imagine being able to catch a fast train between Tauranga, Hamilton and Auckland. How transformative that, that would be in terms of freight, of safety on roads, on housing, because now the possibility, you know, we've always wanted to live in Huntley. It may well be possible because we can jump on a train and within 30 minutes we're in Monaco or wherever. So, yeah, I think there's an exciting moment here where we get to say, actually, we could do this differently. 
And I really like the work that a guy called Roger Dennis has done of sort of three planning horizons. We're in a crisis mode at the moment, and the government done a pretty awesome job. Even the opposition have to acknowledge that. The next phase is about moving into uh, employment, um, dealing with welfare, basically getting us back up and running. But the third horizon is where actually we should be working right now, and that's to say forestry. We know that we're going to have to have a forestry industry. It creates employment. It's great for growing trees in New Zealand. We also know that forestry is largely a dumb industry. It's a commodity industry. It it is a low-skill employer. What if we start embedding in this phase now some real intelligence around genetics, around information gathering, around sensors. Um, you know, is there a way that we could use tech to really advance our forestry industry to go from volume to value so that in 20 years' time we're actually a leaders in forestry tech and we're not just exporting logs, actually we're exporting IP or we're growing a special kind of you know, genetic uh, type of pine here that um, you know we could sell the genetics to the world just like we've done with Zespri and and the kiwi fruit. You know we we own the IP and the IP is where the value is. So I you're think, not talking internet protocol here, are you? <laughs> I'm I'm not. I'm talking intellectual property. I, I know. I've just uh, in, intellectual property. You're speaking. You're speaking my language here. You know when I put my futurist hat on, which is you know I guess the lens through which I like to look at things. This. This idea of reimagining is, you know, something that I think we all need to be doing, and probably a lot more often than we than we normally do. And COVID creates that uh, position where where we all, and and you know, to some degree, are almost being sort of forced into it, where we we have to stop and look around and and start rethinking things, whether it's you know, what's my personal career going to look like? What's it like for you know family yeah. members, yeah. children? What's 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 my industry going to be doing? What's New Zealand going to be doing? Mm. And and that's certainly the you know I think the the thinking that we all need to be having is just actually you know stepping back, reimagine. And you know, forestry is one. Of course, there are there are there are know, so many so so, so uh, many areas. And if and if Kiwis will do this, and now there, there, there's there's a challenge here. Um, you know, you're talking about the role of government and so on. How we uh, can can get you know government to support some of those things that will need uh, you know very much strategic thinking and commitment at a at a government level. So, for instance, you know, we, we talk about some of these. Uh, you know, electric opportunities, and I was saying, well, you know, it's it's easy to do this in New Zealand, and as we know, uh, things are never as 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 easy as we would we would like to think. But you know, if we get these things right, and we can work out the, the you know the approach in New Zealand, the ability to scale and and sell the intellectual property, or you know sell you know sell these these creations uh, to the world. Yeah. I mean, we get an exponential you know growth on top of That's what right. we what we achieve. Uh, you know locally to to help ourselves. And let's remember what organisations are good at. So the government is terrible at innovation. We cannot expect the government to produce products, and I know we're going to come to one of those in a minute. But you look at the success of ultra-fast broadband. It was a a 
great collaboration, world-class collaboration between the states saying, actually, we need a solution nationwide. We're going to create a system that then private enterprise can build on and participate in. So they effectively created you know, a railway system and then allowed private enterprise to build on that. That is the right way to go when you need systems change. And if you think about the EV network or about fast rail, it's too big a project for ChargeNet, you know, to take on by itself, bless them. Um, So what we need is a government response that says we're going to create the infrastructure and the environment where ChargeNet and others like it can really flourish. And I think that exists in uh, at the moment in, in three areas. Electrification of the transport network, so we need a fast charging network nationwide. Uh, and in urban centres, we need a transformation of rail and mobility to electric. You know, if you think about it, we never need to build another road again. If we manage traffic flow through better management. You know, who needs to go to work, Paul? I mean, we could literally work from home. We need roads because of peak time. Um, so transport. Second area is electricity. If we upgrade our national grid, uh, we actually could move. One of the major things that's holding us back from being 100% renewable is the quality of the grid. If we had 100% renewable electricity, that is a fantastic story to tell. Oh, I mean, that, that would attract so much attention for New Zealand globally. Yeah. Right, which is is good. It would encourage the, you know, maybe you know more of those data centres. Yeah. You know, all all sorts of uh, things, and yeah. it would just be a, a reason to uh, attract you know more more and more business to, right. to to New Zealand. I mean, how you weigh that up? I think those things can you know I don't know how you would how you would quantify that, but I would. Thankfully, that's not our job I would, today. I would, I would like like to think that it would stack up pretty well. There, there's a third area. I think government could take a transformational uh, leap or or a, take a stance that would transform, and I think that's five G. Uh, yeah, and I think five G is you know what UFB was ten years ago. 5G is now, and the potential to open up rural uh, areas to high-quality broadband-style uh, uh, or level um, internet, uh, it solves so many problems, Paul. You know, it creates uh, a reason to not travel. So, you know, you can stay where you are in Taranaki or in Ekaduna or Timaru, where, wherever you are. Um, it, Most of those places have pretty good um, fibre already if if not all of them but but you know i i agree that you know 5g will you know will um you know fill in those gaps between uh where we can get fiber and you know at the moment there are certainly limitations of what's uh what you actually get in a location where yeah. you're you know relying on the mobile network com- you know compared to the fiber network yeah. and 5G will certainly you know improve that uh, uh, but you know 5G like UFB is one of those kind of platform plays that could um that wouldn't on top of that would would come apps and services that then generate jobs and opportunities. Sure. And a, a little anecdote, Paul, I have a son who works in tech in Melbourne, and uh, he said the only reason he would come back to New Zealand uh, is not because of his parents and his awesome family, but because the quality of the internet is so crap in Melbourne. And 
you know, I, I know it's an anecdote, but we have seen the power of broadband to spawn business opportunities and 5G electrification and um, renewable energy, I, I think, are three awesome platforms that the government could use to transform this country. Yeah, I, I mean, I think there's there's a, a lot of uh, validity in your thinking there, well, Vincent. thank you, Paul. Yeah. Yes, no, that's good. Um, well, we'll keep having these discussions, and um, but for those that are you know really interested in, in hearing about this on an ongoing basis, I guess we have to you know direct them at uh, you know a couple of different podcasts. Um, so obviously, your podcast, this climate business, is a, is the place to be listening in. Uh, we we you know you're having these discussions every week, and we've also got the electric vehicle podcast where you know th- there's a lot of uh, you know talk. Um, Leaning more in the in the uh, transportation uh, direction, and uh, uh, you know, fun topics like converting cars to uh, uh, to a, to electric. But uh, yeah, I think uh, we would encourage people to listen in and sure and, and, and just you know delve in a, a little bit more. Who else have you, or what are some of the other topics that you've been talking about in uh, in recent weeks? Uh, I spoke to a really interesting guy this week. The one that we went live. Uh, this morning, in fact, uh, about uh, forestry and the potential for uh, forestry to become, I know we're well off tech now, but just quickly, forestry is interesting because uh, we're planting a billion trees in New Zealand. They're planting a billion trees in Australia, planting a trillion trees in China. There's going to be, there's already a wall of wood. There's going to be a tidal wave of wood. If, If that wood does not find a home, Uh, We actually have forests that uh, fall, potentially fall into disrepair. Uh, And that would be bad for the climate. It would be bad for fire risk. It would be bad for pest management. So there is a massive effort going into thinking about wood as a replacement for concrete and steel. And the the tech that is going into wood is just mind-blowing, Paul. The, The stuff that's happening in Rotorua with Scion, that was Making. where my fa- my father first worked in New Zealand. Oh, you've told me this. Yes, That's I've right. told you the story. So, um, you know, potential for bioplastics, uh, the potential for cellulose as a source material for plastics, for fuel, for glue. Um, uh, they've, they've made this awesome uh, replacement for plywood that is entirely biodegradable. You know, plywood is actually a scourge because it's, it's full of crap. Um, and uh, so... The, the, again, back to agri-tech, the potential for, for tech and forestry is quite high. Um, who else have I spoken to? I really, really enjoyed speaking to um, Jan Saplitsky, who has built a, the, um, a carbon offsetting app that's made it basically as, as, as easy as a button just to calculate and offset your emissions and that that little startup is just going gangbusters and they're signing up businesses all over the place so they are do you remember when mobile phone plans first arrived and you needed a blimmin you know it's like the da vinci code trying to figure out how to make a mobile plan well that's what carbon offsetting is like it's like this this complex expensive ridiculous business Yarn has made it as easy as just pressing a button and it goes, and I think that that kind of that tech is is 
he's, he's not invented anything. He's just making it simpler. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think you know, again, you know, there's a there's a green job that didn't exist. Um, electric ferries. I mentioned those. So exciting what Michael Eglin is doing, and uh, if they have a consortium put together with um, a couple of others, I don't think I can mention yet because I know more about it than I should. Um, but very very exciting to imagine the Hauraki Gulf and Tauranga Harbours quiet as anything because electric ferries are buzzing around and you know the interesting thing Paul is not just the, the powering of these boats but it's the way that they could all work together so at the moment one of the things that happens is you jump on a Fuller's ferry and you, you spend five minutes waiting bobbing around in yes. the sea waiting for another yeah. you know boat to, to make a space for you well with smart ferries uh, there's no waiting you know they they will time their Arrival because they'll know each where each other is. So it's so it's not just so it's actually a network, you know, that's operating, not just a series of individual vessels, and that that whole idea has quite a lot of export potential for not just building the boats, but but the IP, the intellectual property that's in that ferry network. Fascinating. Well, we will uh, we'll look forward to more discussions down that track. Now, um, New Zealand's contact tracing app I installed this uh, last week shortly after uh, I was alerted that the app was available in uh, the app stores now I was able to install that on my iPhone uh, because my iPhone is part is uh, linked up to the the New Zealand app store now myself like probably a, re- a reasonable chunk of other people uh, have one of the app stores, and I'm talking about for my Android device, is uh, is not linked to the New Zealand uh, app store. I'm on the US one because there are sometimes things that I want to try from the US. That's certainly my default uh, setup anyway. And then I've come across other people who are you know English or wherever, and so they're linked to the app stores from their uh, their, their native countries. Uh, so that was one of the issues I found was uh, for whatever reason they've only launched it into the New Zealand app store whereas if I want to you know my Android I've got all the you know the banks and yeah, basically any New Zealand app that you need uh, you know in most cases they put them into the international stores so as a as a uh, person that's in New Zealand whether you're permanently in New Zealand or visiting you can get at the uh, at the app why Paul did this have to be built has this not already been done in other countries? Could we not be a fast follower in this example and just pick up something that was best of breed from Asia or Europe? Yeah, well, look, it's it's an interesting one. When when the app came out, I fired it up, and then I, I asked uh, my wife to try it out, and um, you know, I said, "Oh, look, this you know, this is the app that that keeps uh, you know that that keeps an electronic diary." Of uh, of where you've been for contact tracing. She says, "Oh, that's great! So I can put in here all the places that I've that I've been recently, and I can keep a record of you know of, of where I go today." Mm-hmm. And then I realised, well, actually, no, you 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 can't do any of that. And um, all you can do is uh, scan a barcode for those uh, locations that have got the barcode up. Which how many places have a barcode up? Well, apparently there are a few thousand places that have now managed to jump through the the hoops of um, the minister of MB, and um, they have been able to 
you know, link up their um, New Zealand business number, and you know they've they've uh-huh. they've, they've got it done. Um, I on the on the day this was launched, and I think they got I know hundred thousand, two hundred thousand people signed up very quickly. We're you know I think we're beyond three hundred thousand now. So there's a whole lot of people now uh, with the app. With the app, but uh, but it's if like- they're anything like me, and I and I went out on that day because I was going to be talking about it across you know radio New Zealand and. Uh, TV3 and a, few, and a few other places and I went around, I went to banks, I went to restaurants went, you know, uh, about 20 different locations. No, Nobody had it and those that I asked, they said, well we haven't heard anything from the government about how we get up and running with this. So we've kind of got this thing where there, you know, we've had this, as you say, there's, there's you know, open source, um, you know, code from Singapore, which we could have leveraged. Australia uh, did that. There is a whole debate around, you know, whether the sort of Bluetooth type, um, you know, tracking and coming into range with people is the right thing to do. In our case, the government decided well, we'll do this kind of diary type thing, uh, but then it actually doesn't, you know, doesn't seem to be very complete. And we've already got a whole bunch of apps out there already. So. Uh, and and even this weekend when I was out again, I thought, oh, let, let's have a look. And what I was seeing was, you know, barcodes for tracing.co.nz and these other, uh, you know, local the wild uh, commercial West. entities who had launched their own ones, which is, you know, is great. Uh, you know, they're building a they're building a business and contact tracing and helping Kiwi businesses out. Um, but I still wasn't seeing what the government was doing. So I'm I'm a little bit perplexed. Uh, and yeah, some, like somewhat a, somewhat disappointed. Three with, out of ten with, so with far the, from you with the timing. Yeah, and and look, I mean, you know, TV three out of the you know the big chat I had with them, um, you know that they they jumped in on a on a little sound sound bite where uh, you know I was making a little bit of fun of of the government talking about you know that they they announced at the beginning we're gonna you know we're going hard and we're going early and you know I said well you know in terms of leveraging technology uh, to address challenges with contact mm. tracing. Uh, the government seems to be going soft and, and, go, and going late. Um, but this is a really good example, isn't it, in a very small sort of way of what we've just talked about, about who does things right, who does things well. Governments are great at setting standards. They can articulate a vision. They could describe what would the outcome they would like to achieve then that could be put out as a competition, as a tender. Uh, it could be open source. There's no reason why the government actually has to build that stuff. If it sets standards and set ambitions and set a vision for what could be achieved, as you say, there are already uh, a few dozen apps being built for the retail sector by clever people. And that's the right Kind of combination of a standard setter and a and a and a vision setter, and then a delivery arm that is uh, empowered, motivated, and um, and clever, and and the experience of that, let's hope, is not what we're going to experience as we open up the economy more and more to COVID. You know, there's a part of us that all thinks, please, let's not go back to business as usual, but also, please, let's not screw this up. Yeah, I think, you know, there's a need that we really facilitate this sort of, you know, agile approach where we, you know, move quickly, uh, we innovate, we get we get things out. And, and maybe we'll see it with this NZ COVID Tracer app that it's going to improve very, uh, you know, very, very quickly. At the at the moment, I think we're we're about a week in. There's been a you know an initial update. I think that, you know, the day following uh, launch, haven't seen anything else uh, since. 
but you know my hope is that we'll we'll just see that you know rap- rapidly improve it you know they'll add in that functionality so you can it, it is that true diary you can keep a note of everything and you know, in fact uh, I even had uh, feedback from my my father who was listening to radio New Zealand when I was chatting about it at lunchtime and he came back to me and said well uh, yeah thanks for the advice Paul um, I'll be continuing to write in my diary the places I go <laughs> and I'll be typing those into my computer when I you know when I get back to uh, back you know, back back to his um, retirement home, uh, which you know I, th- I thought was uh, you know was, was quite amusing. But that's something they could do. I mean, it's very easy functionality to to do. But anyway, I guess it, there, there's that thing where uh, you know, as you say, government aren't very good at some stuff. Um, there there is an imperative here to get the privacy elements right and for it to be safe and secure. So you know, who who would they pick? But there, there are some very experienced, you know, organisations out there that that maybe could have uh, could have done this. And look, I I don't generally like to get into you know political things because you you know start upsetting all, all sorts of people. And I'm sure that you know the people involved in this are all you know great people. They're probably doing a very good job within the constraints. You don't know, um, but uh, well, I certainly hope so. Um, but there are there are constraints and challenges when it comes to government. And uh, yeah, this one it's not looking as though we've done particularly well when when comparing certainly to uh, Australia and and Singapore as 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 nearby cousins. Um, now we need to keep moving because we've got a few other things to talk about. Um, if you're interested a little bit more on my commentary on that, um, there is a blog post up at uh, paulspain.com uh, with my initial feelings on that from uh, last week, and I hope we'll be able to report back some uh, some changes to those feelings in the in the next few days or weeks. Let's hope he's wrong. Um, now, uh, Rocos or was it Rocos, uh, which is the the New Zealand uh, software company that have brought into the country uh, you know, two of these uh, uh, robo-dogs from Boston uh, Dynamics. We mentioned that earlier. And look, I, you know, I just thought it was um, scary and cool to see these things just, just in a park uh, you know, near, nearby our, uh, our studio here. I think uh, you know, robotics technology has a lot of promise if it's you know, utilised in innovative and nice ways. I think people were completely freaked out by the footage that was on on TV maybe a, a couple of days uh, before this coverage that was showing the Boston Dynamics uh, robo dogs uh, kicking around a uh, public park in Singapore and telling people warning. off. It's amazing, yeah. you know. I think if if that happened in New Zealand, Australia, the thing would get its head kicked. And so I think you know there's a probably you know appropriate and inappropriate uses. But I tell you what, I think is pretty interesting about this first of all it reminded me of that country calendar episode where they put the radio transmitter on the dog collar do you remember that and they had the remote control dog sheep oh, i can't remember that sheep dog yeah okay and so so what were they using it was, was an it? april fools episode oh okay i was gonna say like hold on it was how hilarious how does that work like time. you know were they faking electric shocks and things <laughs> like that to control the dog or something but you know one of the issues for the agri and horticultural sector is labor there's a there's labor shortage um mm. you know but it turns out not everyone wants to stomp around at 5 a.m in a dairy shed or you know not at, anymore. At, at the back blocks nor do they do want to do the back breaking work and uh if you've ever had a go at um, packing kiwi fruit, it is hard yakka, man. And so the hort sector in particular every year suffers this massive issue around labour, and robotics has to be 
and automation has to be an answer. We've had some fantastic Kiwi companies in this space like um, Compaq Sorting, you know, which grew really out of kiwi fruit and then yes. moved into apples and subsequently into lots of other areas and did incredibly well, exported and now I think is, is an international company. So uh, exciting to see um, automation happening in this space. Uh, it was sort of a little bit gutting to see that it was a Boston Dynamics. You know, why couldn't it be a Kiwi robot? But nice to see some Kiwi software. Well, out. Boston Dynamics. I mean, they've, they've you know they've put what, well over a decade, I guess, into into this stuff, and you know, I don't know how many hundreds of millions or, or, or billions that have gone you know that have gone into that research. And um, but we, yeah, when you join up the dots to you know, be various bits of you know funding coming from U.S. military and so on. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You know, it, it, it can be a little bit scary, but if that can actually en- end up being utilised, you know, in good ways, uh, that help us address you know genuine uh, you know problems. Yeah. And and uh, New Zealand can be a part of a play by you know applying artificial intelligence mm-hmm. and applying uh, you know software that becomes a, a key piece of that puzzle. Uh, then, then you know that that's encouraging, and yeah. yeah, we do. We have you know a whole bunch of genuine you know challenges where uh, you know young Kiwis these days uh, you know aren't excited about going out and uh, and doing the picking fruit, working on farms, and and so on. Whereas that you know that used to be a lot more common, certainly a part you know parts of the country, and you know we're having to bring people in from from outside of the country mm. to do those jobs. And that's actually is becoming harder and harder right now. I mean, well, nobody now can nobody come into can the country, come so we're, but, we're, but I think we're also under a real pressure. It goes to an economic challenge we have, which is productivity. And one of the reasons we have low productivity is because we have so many low-skilled jobs. Um, so that creates high employment, but low, you know, there's a bit of a trade-off here. And the key to unlocking that is automation and technology. So you think about how much cost could be saved in harvesting and packing kiwi fruit or you think about how much cost could be saved in irrigation through IoT sensors being deployed all around a vineyard or around an orchard agreed and and there's that ability to move at a pace that you can't necessarily do where where it relies on human Resourcing, right? That's Where you right. can you can scale and and, yeah. and facilitate things a so whole lot quicker. It's, it's really hard in horticulture and in agri to charge a higher price. So cost control is a major contributor to value creation. If and that New Zealand has been good at that, right? We we get we we've more than doubled the value of what we get out of sheep and halved the number of sheep more than half the number of sheep now, and that's all to do with genetics. Processing automation, um, the, the the price of of meat has not gone up that much, so it's it's about cost management, and that's what technology allows us to do: faster, cheaper. Great. Oh well, this has been great discussion. Oh, last one we I was going to mention there, there's been a bit of discussion online today uh, at uh, Geek Zone, which is the sort of you know, online tech forum here in, in New Zealand around uh, Vodafone and their uh, hybrid fibre coaxial network, which are, you know we, we know of uh, as, as being initially uh, built for uh, TV mm-hmm. here uh, in New Zealand. Saturn. Uh, Saturn. Yeah, that's right. Um, and, of course, that's, that's part of uh, Vodafone now, but a number of people had noticed that uh, if you're at an address where... Uh, 
this hybrid fibre coaxial or HFC network is available. If you go in and, and try to order internet for your address, it used to be that it was very hard uh, to get access to our, uh, our you know, full uh, pure fibre network, the ultra-fast broadband network, at those addresses because, uh, you know, Vodafone were wiring it very much sort of in favour of promoting that, uh, that HFC network. That seems to have flipped. Where now it's very hard uh, on on premises. Certainly, the you know the what I what I've mm-hmm. noticed uh, to actually get access to the HFC network. Um, there, and is that a good network? Is it a good experience? Uh, look, I have um, personally not spent any extended periods of of time uh, using it. Although I know of people that have you know very very happy with it and you know have found it a, a, a great you know great experience and good value, they're getting you know basically cable TV so they're getting Sky delivered over it without having to have a satellite mm. dish. Mm. Uh, so they you know they've they've got a uh, you know a set top box that 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 gives them their. Uh, their TV feed, as well as getting internet and some, you know, some pretty good uh, speeds there. I think that that aren't, you know, a million miles off what we get uh, on our fibre network. So I think you can you can get, uh, if my memory is is correct, you can get a, a gigabit type uh, speed. Certainly from a download perspective, I don't think the uploads are as you think as that fast they're quietly exiting out of what could be a legacy product. Well, there there does seem to be a little bit of a a, a, a change here. I don't think they're they're about to um, you know cut off any any existing customers, people that have it. You know, I think they're going to be able to have that for you know probably for many many years to uh, to come. Um, but maybe we're seeing this this you know transition where they're they're not promoting it as being the the best or the you know the first option, and so uh, you will see that they're taking a somewhat similar approach that we've seen with Spark, where when you go to connect with internet, often the first recommendation will be over their mobile network. Mm-hmm. So if you you know if you don't have so much data that's coming and going to your home, uh, then their mobile network and that's yeah, that's good for their business mm-hmm. uh, because they've already got the network. They're not having to uh, put money in in the pockets of uh, in the pocket of chorus. And it's something they can turn on instantly, so yes. you're not you're not having to you know wait to get that uh, up and running. You basically just need your your router, and uh, and away you go. Now, mm-hmm. for a, a lot of people like myself, and I imagine it's probably similar in your home, the amount of uh, you know data that you use means that uh, you know fibre is the natural option because you don't you know you can have completely uncapped connection mm. and you get the very very best of performance and you know so that's my usual recommendation to people is you know go with fiber and you know if you're not under a huge financial pressure then you know get 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 the fastest uncapped uh, plan and uh, and then make sure you've got you know, good connectivity around your business mo- premises or home mobile's not a bad option if uh, for instance you might have an infrastructure problem about getting fiber to your property if you for instance you know share multiple uh, addresses of one driveway or you're in a, a building where you know getting fibre to your particular end of the apartment complex might be quite hard. I think that's not a bad option, right? To well, go it's, it's, not, it's nice option. to have the option. Uh, I mean, I still would recommend to most people if you know if you certainly if you own a if you own a property and you haven't got fibre to it, you know, get it get it there because at some point in time you might find that the full cost of getting it from the street, uh, you know, into your property, 
that you're going to be paying for it rather than it being you know paid basically paid for for you and you know at the moment that's you know it's it's basically a, a, a zero cost to get it installed in most residential premises there there are some you know exceptions and some you know some complexities uh, but there is still a, a reasonable difference between uh, fiber and any sort of wireless connection and even when we go 5g uh, we've got, you know, there's no guarantee that that's going to be an uncapped, unlimited uh, type of service. You are assuming that Chorus will turn up, of course. Uh, well, Chorus never turn up. Um, you know, they they contract it all out. So, uh, you know, you end up with all these different parties that, uh, you know, are are in the mix. So it can certainly be, uh, I only be, say a, this be, a, because be a challenge I'm, getting it installed. I'm in the middle of a building project and oh, yes. the last bit, the last bit of the project is chorus oh yeah and how's that going for you Vincent? well they're not there <laughs> everybody <laughs> else has been there yeah okay uh well i'm i'm, I'm um yes i've i've come across my fair few uh challenges with that sort of stuff i think it it, it has now become a lot easier than what it was in the very you know in those earlier days of um of ufb but it sounds like in in your case maybe uh well, the uh, irony. maybe not not not, <coughs> not so easy the irony was <laughs> when we first got it installed it was fantastic they they were highly efficient reliable did it without any trouble at all yes but, uh, now um, I'm sure COVID will be at fault, but um, you just can't get any action out of. Course Is this a property right subdivision type scenario, or now we're really getting into it, aren't we? Okay. Um, yeah. Um, anyone listening from Chorus, do give me a call. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, there will there will be people listening in from uh, from from Chorus, so um, yeah, we can have a chat about that one afterwards. I can maybe give you a, a recommendation or two. All right. Well, that brings us to uh, to the end. And look, Vincent, very nice to catch up and. Uh, to chat and uh, look for anyone that wants to catch your podcast where do they where do they need to go well you can just type into the, your browser thisclimatebusiness.com and you'll find there you know you could listen to it in your browser but we don't encourage that kind of thing do we we like no, I mean, you better to do it you better to do it through your podcast exactly. app so that uh, you can you can keep listening as so each whatever, episode comes out whatever app you listen to i think it's on every single uh, app that i could find um, this climate business, and the other thing, Paul, that I am really open to, I may regret this, but you know, pitch your stories to me. I'm really interested in meeting entrepreneurs who are exploiting this opportunity to shift to a low emissions economy. So much of climate change news is bad. Let's also make it an opportunity for growth, for change, for wealth creation. Uh, I would love to hear of Kiwi entrepreneurs who are using this as a moment to um, launch new products and services and, you know, do the world a favour. That's good. That's good. And look, like, you know, likewise on, uh, on you know, tech companies and stories, new things that are starting up at this time or uh, are really seeing a, a big ramp up, uh, you know, very, uh, very interested in uh and hearing, we're definitely keen to share a few more of those uh, of those stories of I'm sure uh, of, of what you well, know. I love that Kiwi ingenuity. Yeah, it's great. All right, well, thanks everybody for uh, for listening in. You can catch these shows and uh, and many others at podcasts.nz and uh, and through your podcast app. So, thanks everyone for joining us, and we'll catch you again on the next show next week. All right, see ya. The New Zealand Tech Podcast. Brought to you by Gorilla Technology, proactive and strategic IT.